You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is The Struggle is Real, Episode 4 with Loami Richardson. Welcome to Amazing Discoveries, and my name is Loami Richardson, Evangelist for Saul Outreach, and I want to welcome you to our series entitled The Struggle is Real. What we have been doing this last couple of presentations and what we're going to be doing today is understanding the principles that you and I must live by in order for us to be complete in Christ. In our previous presentations, we've understood through the story of the rich young ruler as well as the story of Nicodemus that Christ wanted to show the condition of those individuals' hearts. And the one thing that they were lacking was the love of God. And as we concluded that the one thing that Jesus desired from them was their love, uh, was, was their hearts to, so that he can infuse them with his love, we see the importance of the Holy Spirit. You see, many of us want to believe, and, th- and rightly so, that God wants to get us into heaven, but the truth of the matter is Christ wants to fit us into heaven, and he does that through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we concluded in our third presentation that Christ reveals to us our condition through the message of the Laodicean church found in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. You see, we think, our, we think of ourselves more highly than what we ought to. But once we come a connection with the cross and we see Jesus for who he truly is, we see our condition that we're truly miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. But Christ reveals to us that condition, not that we can feel bad about ourselves, but that we can flee to him. And so what we're going to be doing for the next seven, uh, uh, seven presentations is entitled The Seven Steps to Completion, which is a part of this uh, overall Uh, series entitled The Struggle is Real. And so what we're going to do is take a look at the seven steps that we're going to be going over throughout this series and what we're going to be covering here today. So there's two parts uh, that, that, that you and I must play, God's role and our role as he tries to make us whole and complete in him. And so we see God's part and our part. God's part, which we'll be discussing today, is that he draws us with his love. Our part is to not resist his drawing. You see, we've always heard that it's easier for us to be lost than to be saved. But after today's presentation, we're going to actually see that it's easier for us to be saved than to be lost. Then our second step, once we come into uh, we do not resist his drawing, Christ then convicts us of our sins and our need of his righteousness. And our job is to acknowledge that we need his righteousness. Once we acknowledge that we need his righteousness, then he gives us the gift of repentance. After we receive that gift of repentance, our job is to confess the sins that he reveals to us, forsake our sins, and then give him our hearts. Once we complete that step, Christ then forgives us, he cleanses us, he empowers us to live a holy and sanctified life, and our job is to simply believe and accept it. Then once we believe and accept it, Christ then teaches us how to live in us and to empower us to live that sanctified life. Our job is to live by his power and bear the fruits that are necessary in order for you and I to show that we are truly disciples of his. Then we see that once we are tempted, because there are moments in our lives that we get tempted in our experience, when we are tempted, Christ makes a way of an escape for us to not fall into that temptation. And our job is to simply find God's way of escape and submit to him in those moments where we feel the most vulnerable. Then finally, If we do fall, if we did not uh, take the way of escape that Christ showed us that we must take, we see that Christ ultimately becomes our advocate if we fall 
And our job is to repent and turn back to him. So again, today what we're going to be discussing is God's part, how he withdraws us and how he draws us with his love. But before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to be with us as we unpack this study today. Lord, we just want to thank you again for your love and for your grace. Lord, as we go through the seven steps of completion, as we continue to go through the series entitled The Struggle is Real, Lord, we know that the struggle is something that is beautiful, for we know that your son went through it as well. And Lord, we want to understand how we can be victorious Christians. And so as we discuss the love that draws us to you, we pray that we may have a better understanding of that love. Use me right now. Hide me behind the cross. Let your son be uplifted and that all men, women, and children may be drawn unto you. We love you. We thank you for we ask this in Jesus precious name. Amen. So we're going to be discussing today God's part on how he will draw us to himself. I want you to notice what it states in Philippians chapter two and verse 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for notice. For it is God who does what? Who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're seeing that in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, that it is God that works in us to do two things. To will us to do what he's asking us to do and then to work out what he's already put in our hearts, his ultimate pleasure and his desire. So this is God's ultimate work. Yes, we must cooperate with Christ, but it's God who does the complete work in you and I. Notice what Messages to Young People, page 147 states. To make God's grace our own, notice what it says. We must act our part. The Lord does not propose to perform for us either the willing or the doing. His grace is given to work in us to will and to do but never as a substitute for our effort. Our souls are to be aroused to cooperate and the Holy Spirit works in us that we may work out our own salvation. So what God ultimately does is that he puts in us a will to do what he asks us to do. And then when we submit to what Christ is asking us to do, then he empowers us to actually do it. But we must actually put forth an effort. So the effort is the will that God gives to us that he cannot take away from no man. And this is how the Holy Spirit works in us that we may work our, our own salvation. So it's not our actual power to work our, our own salvation, but it's the Holy Spirit that works in us to will and that ultimately do. Our job is to simply submit to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So what we're going to be discussing again, it's God's part, how he draws us to ultimately do his good pleasure. Before we begin, we're going to see in John chapter 12, verse 32, the passage and what it states. It says, Jesus says, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. You see, it's so important for us to uplift the cross, uplift Jesus, for without uplifting the cross, then the messages that we're going to be presenting here will make, will be of no relevance. So we see that the most important thing that Christ says we must do is uplift the cross, uplift Jesus. And as we do so, there's something about the cross that allows us to be drawn unto him. Notice what evangelism page 264 states. The very first and most important. Now, if something is the very first and most important, that's pretty important, is it not? Notice the very first and most important thing is to melt and subdue the soul 
by presenting our Lord Jesus Christ as a sin bearer, the sin pardoning savior, making the gospel as clear as possible. So we see that the most important thing that any evangelist, any preacher, any teacher must do is must first uplift Christ, present his love, present how he is willing to take off, take on your sins, forgive you and empower you. And as we see the cross, there is where the gospel is made clear. And so this is why we see in John chapter three, verse 16, the world's most famous passage for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, verse 16, we're familiar with, but verse 17, I believe, is as, just as important as verse 17. For notice what it says. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, that, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, Christ came to save a sinner like you and I. He did not come to condemn, though many preachers and other people may think that Christ came to condemn. No, 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 he came to save. He understands our condition. He understands that we are prone to fall into sin, yet he came to save you and I. Brothers and sisters, that's the good news. But I want you to notice that many people believe that we'll continue to sin until Jesus comes. But you know, Christ's love does something in our hearts and the greatest mission, uh, the purpose and the mission of Jesus when he came onto earth was found, is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It states, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people in their sins. The Bible says from their sins. Why is that important? Because I'm, the other, in our previous presentation, I made an illustration that if we have one sin in our vessels, the whole soul is contaminated. And you would think, well, that's kind of extreme, is it not? But I made the illustration that if I grabbed a, a, a bottle of water and I took a sip and then with, from that sip, I put a little a rat poison in it and mix it up and I offered it to anyone. How many people be willing to drink it? Not too many people. Why? Because that little bit of poison contaminated all of the good water that was in that bottle. And so it is with our vessels. If we possess one sin, brothers and sisters, the whole soul is contaminated. And Christ came to save us from our sins, not in them. And this is why Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 states, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Brothers and sisters, there is not one human being on planet earth that has not gone astray from God's, uh, God's ideal plan for them. We have turned away from God. We have all went our own separate way, yet Christ took our sins and he laid it upon himself and he bore the iniquity of us all. You see, Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 322 states, Hating a sin with perfect hatred, he yet gathered to his soul the sins of the whole world. Guiltless, he bore the punishment of the guilty. You see, what Christ wants to develop in us is an enmity, a hatred, a disgust for sin. And so Jesus had a hate, he had a, perf a perfect hatred for sin. And his whole soul, though he was guiltless, Though he did not commit a sin, he bore the punishment of those as if he did commit a sin. He continues by saying, innocent, yet offering himself as a substitute for the transgressor. The guilt of every sin pressed its weight upon the divine soul of the whole redeemers. The evil thoughts, the evil words, the evil deeds of every son and daughter of Adam called for retribution upon himself, for he had become man's substitute. It states and concludes that though the guilt of sin was not his, 
his spirit was torn and bruised by transgressions of men. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's good news. Jesus, though he was innocent, took on the penalty that I deserved. He took on my sins, my filth, my unrighteousness, and in return gave me the gift of eternal life that I may be able to live through his power, the power that he was able to demonstrate there at the cross. And this is why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 states, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, brothers and sisters, what Christ ultimately did was that he understood that every single person has gone away and followed their own desires and their own inclinations. Yet, he says, I'm willing to pay the penalty that they deserve. Because we know that the wages of sin is death. And Christ says, I'll take on the penalty. I will die. The, the, I will die. Uh, the, I will ultimately lay down my life and die for humanity. And in return, what I will give them is my righteousness and I will empower them to live the life that I lived here on earth. Brothers, and sisters, that is what Christ is willing to do for you and I. Notice what's first selected messages, page uh, 271 states. As soon as Christ entered the wilderness of temptation, his visits changed. The weight of the sins of the world was pressing his soul. He realized that the strength of indulged appetite and of unholy passions that control the world which had brought upon man inexpressible suffering. There it is that as Jesus was making a decision to lay down his life for you and I, as he's going to Gethsemane, as he's going through the agony, we see that he is, the weight of the sins was pressed upon him. He realized that the strength of our indulged appetites, our unholy passions was ultimately the reason why we have been separated from him. But yet, though Christ was suffering, he went through with it because his love that he has for you and I. I want you to notice in Parfits of Kings what it states. Could Satan have induced Christ to yield to a single temptation? Could he have led him by one act or even thought to stain his perfect purity? The prince of darkness would have triumphed over man's surety and would have gained the whole human family to himself. Understand the agony Understand what Jesus was tempted to go through every single day when he woke up in the morning, every moment of the day, every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month. Satan was tempting him, all wanting Jesus to fall into one temptation. Jesus, do what you feel like doing. Stop submitting yourself to the Father's will. And if Satan could have allowed Christ to fall into just one temptation, if Jesus would have looked out for himself just one time, brothers and sisters, you and I will be lost forever. Jesus will lo no longer, he will cease to exist. Christ would have lost the, uh, the great controversy between good and evil if he would have came in to one, just one temptation of Satan. But I love what, how this quotation ends. Notice what it says. But while Satan could not distress, he could not contaminate. He could cause agony, but not defilement. He made the life of Christ one long scene of conflict and trial. Yet Christ overcame amen and brothers and sisters this is what christ went through for you and i satan was distressing jesus but he couldn't contaminate him he he was causing him agony but yet no defilement was upon jesus he made life he made the life of jesus one that was constantly of a conflict of trial and temptation yet jesus held on why because of his love for you this is why isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 states the following he was oppressed 
and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. And so he opened not his mouth. Jesus went through the agony. He went through the pain. He went through the trials and never opened his mouth. Why? Because he knew what he was signed up. He, he knew what he was signing himself up for. And yet he did it out of pure motive and motivation for love for you and I. I want you to notice describing Christ's uh, final scenes here in Bible Commentary, Volume 5. It says, in his closing hours, while hanging upon the cross, he experienced to the fullest extent what man must experience when striving against sin. Brothers and sisters, understand what we just read here. We have to understand that what Christ was enduring right before he went to the cross and as he was hanging on the cross is what he was experiencing. What he was experiencing is what you and I experience every single time you and I are tempted with sin. See, Jesus realized how bad a man may become by yielding to sin. Jesus saw the results of sin and because of that is why he endured such great trial. He understood the separation that sin was going to cause uh, between you and I and what sin will ultimately do not only to you, but all to humanity. He says he realized the terrible consequences of the transgression of God's law for the iniquity of the whole world was upon him. And this is why 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 states he himself bore sins in his body on the tree. For what reason? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And that is why Christ endured the cross. It's something about the cross that allows us to be drawn to his love, that allows us to say, Lord, here's my sin. I want to die to sin and I want to live according to your love and to your right doing. That's why Christ endured what he went through, because he wanted us not to suffer the penalty of sin. He already paid the consequences and the penalty of sin. But in return, he wants to give us the ability to live a life that is righteous and holy. Brothers and sisters, he wants his love to dwell in our hearts. He wants our hearts to be subdued by what he has done for us in the cross. But notice what Steps to Christ states. It says, while the sinner is yet far from the father's house, wasting his substance in a strange country, the father's heart is yearning over him. And every longing awakened in the soul to return to God is but a tender pleading of his spirit, wooing, entreating, drawing, the wanderer to his father's heart of love. Oh, brothers and sisters, the father is constantly waiting for you and I to return home. And I remember six years ago, as I was doing what I wanted to do, as I was a sheep that was gone astray, a sheep that was doing his own pleasure, his own will. I can imagine, brothers and sisters, it was during my time that I woke up, hung over, woke up the next morning, not knowing how I got home, how I got into a vehicle, drove uh, um, uh, completely drunk and woke up completely safe. Moments where I saw gunshots fired and yet none of those bullets ever hit me. And I'm wondering to myself, there was always promptings in my heart that something wasn't right. Something, there has to be something more than what the life that I was living. Yet I can imagine the father sitting there waiting, pleading, wooing, saying, son, come home. The wages of sin is death. What you're experiencing right now is not what I want you to experience. Come into my everlasting arms. And so we see Christ the Father constantly through his spirit, wooing, entreating us, drawing us back to the Father. For we as children has gone astray. And this is why Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 states, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, 
I have drawn thee. Oh, have you seen that love? Have you experienced that love? He says, he's, we see that Jeremiah chapter 31 states that he loves us with a love that is everlasting and is with loving kindness that he has drawn us to him. You see, there may be people who may scare you to following Jesus. There may be people who may entice you with, with, with gifts or curses to follow Jesus, but we see that it's love that should motivate us to follow Jesus. It's through his loving kindness that he loves us and that he draws himself to us. And I want to notice thoughts of the Mount of Blessings, page 104. The very first step in approaching God is to know and to believe the love that he has to us. For it is through the drawing of his love that we are led to come to him. The very first step, the very first step before we can come to Christ is to know and to believe that he loves you regardless of what you have ever done. Regardless of what you may be doing, you have to believe that Jesus loves you with all of his heart. And the first step in approaching God is to know, to believe that he loves you and that he's constantly drawing his love to you. He's, drawing, he's, he's, he's pouring out his love to you to draw you back home. And so we see in Desire of Ages, page 172, by an agency as unseen as the wind, Christ is constantly working upon the heart. And notice what takes place. Little by little, perhaps unconsciously to the receiver, impressions are made that tend to draw the soul to Christ. These may be received through meditating upon him, through reading the scriptures, or through hearing the word of the living preacher. So understand, when you see people come to the pulpit and come give their hearts to Jesus through the form of baptism or making a surrender to Christ, we think that's instantaneous conversion. But what's happening, what, ha what happened prior to that is that Christ was wooing this individual little by little to the point that something happened as he was meditating upon God on that day. As he was reading the scriptures or even hearing a sermon, as you're hearing right now, that caused their hearts to say, you know what? I want to make a full surrender. I believe that Jesus loves me. And so though we may not see it, as you cannot see the wind, but you can see the results of what wind can do, we see that is little by little, Christ is constantly, unconsciously, though we may not know it, is constantly wooing us with his love. Have you ever been convicted about something you know you shouldn't have done? That is the Holy Spirit talking to you. Have there's been moments where you felt, man, I, I just feel like I should go to church. Man, I have the desire to pray. Man, I feel like I should open up the word of God. That is the Holy Spirit working in you. You see, Christ used these methods of reading the scriptures, meditating upon him in those moments where you feel the most lost, and even hearing the words of a preacher, all of these methods Christ uses for us to be drawn back to him. And then notice what takes place. What happens after? Suddenly, as the spirit comes with more direct appeal, the soul gladly surrenders itself to Jesus. By many, this is called sudden conversion. But it is the result of a long wooing by the Spirit of God. Notice the process, a patient, protracted process. Oh, Christ is waiting, and he's going to be patient, and he's going to do everything in his power to win you back to him. And so he's longing, he's longing, he's wooing us back to himself. You see, we may think, oh, it's sudden conversion, but there's these little steps, these little pricks of his love that is revealed in our lives that, uh, uh, that leads us to ultimately a full surrender to Christ. Christ is longing for you to come home. He is wooing us with his spirit and he's going to be patient. 
He's going to be calculated and he's going to do everything in his power, brothers and sisters, to win you back. And brothers and sisters, that is what's God's part. He draws us with his love. And so what is our part? Our part is not to resist that drawing. And so that's what we're going to be discussing today. Our part, do not resist his drawing. We see that Christ is constantly wooing us to himself with love. Our job is not to resist. Notice what Isaiah chapter 55 verse 3 states. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live. So what Christ wants us to do is to listen to that little small voice called the Holy Spirit, come to him here, and the result is that our soul shall ultimately live. Notice what Desire of Ages, page 175 states, as it describes the cross, the light shining from the cross reveals the love of God. So what do we see at the cross? We see the love of God. His love is drawing us to himself. If we do not resist this drawing, we shall be led to the foot of the cross in repentance for the sins that have crucified the Savior. You see, in the beginning of our presentation, I said it is easier for us to be saved than it is to be lost. Why do I say that? Well, I remember I had the privilege of going to Hawaii and spending some time there doing some work. And one of the hobbies I wanted to pick up was surfing. You see, I saw enough videos and I saw enough people doing it that I figured, oh, it must be easy. It must be cool to do. So a friend of mine took me out to go surfing and the number one rule he says, he says, listen, the waves are kind of choppy and if you're not a strong swimmer, the number one thing that you need to do is not fight against the winds or the waves, but allow the, wa the waves to take you, where, uh, take you to shore and then finally swim out to safety. So I said, okay, that's fair enough. So I got on the board and I was trying to ride the board and, and a wave hit me and, and the natural, right, the natural inclination of mine is to save myself. Let me paddle myself out of this situation. And as I was doing it for about 30 seconds, I realized I was wearing myself out. I heard a voice from a distance says, stop fighting against the wave. Let the wave take you to shore. And so finally, I had to take a deep breath. And, and let go and allow the wave to take me to shore. And then finally, as I got closer, I kind of paddled out and I realized how exhausting that experience was. Brothers and sisters, that is the same experience that you and I go through. You see, it is harder for us to sit there and resist Christ. No, I'm not going to give in than to just say, Lord, I surrender. Allow your love to take me wherever I need to go. And that's what Christ is constantly doing. If we do not resist his drawing, what it will do is lead us to the cross. We will look at Christ. We'll see his sacrifice and wonder to ourselves, that's what my sins did to him? Oh, I don't want to do that to him anymore. What can I do to not cause you any more pain or any more hurt? Then notice what the spirit does. Then the spirit of God through faith produces a new life in the soul. The thoughts and desires are brought into obedience to the will of Christ. The heart, the mind are created anew in the image of him who works in us to subdue all things to himself. There's something that happens at the cross. As we look at Jesus, as we see his love for us, we see that the spirit all of a sudden gives us a desire not to live the life that we're living. And the thoughts, the desires that we once possessed are now in line with what Christ wants us to do. Then Christ gives us a new heart. Then Christ gives us a new mind and there we are created in his image. And then all of the works in us, the desire that Christ puts in us, as long as we surrender, he works it out through us. Oh, this is why Review and Herald states the following. The way has been made clear for all those who choose to hear, repent and believe. 
Three simple steps. We hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Then we come to the cross. We repent. We turn away and we believe that Christ forgave us and we believe that Christ will empower us to continue to live a holy life. All heaven is waiting. The sinners, notice that word, cooperation. And the only barrier that stands in his way is one which he alone can remove his own will. You are your worst enemy. You're the reason why you and, uh, you're, we, you and I are the reason why we're not allowing Christ to do the work that he wants us to, uh, that he wants to accomplish in our lives. The way has been made clear. Simply hear his word. Hear what he's drawing you to do. Repent from your sins, right? And believe that Christ forgiven you, uh, has forgiven you. Believe that he empowers you. All of heaven is waiting for you and I cooperation. The only person that is hindering themselves from allowing God to do his work is you and I. Our own will. That is the one thing that Christ, even God, most powerful God, the one who spoke life into existence, cannot take away our own will. He cannot take away our own choice. We must submit and give God permission to do what he's asked us to do. Notice, it states, he must submit to the will of God and through repentance and faith come unto God for salvation. No one will be forced against his will. Christ draws, but he never compels. Christ says, I'm constantly wooing you. I'm drawing you. Do not resist my drawing. It is your choice. It is my choice whether or not we want to come to Christ. Why? Because love entails a choice. And if you and I have a choice, then Christ is saying, listen, this is the best option for your life. Notice how your life has been going, what direction has been going, how much <clears throat> grievousness, uh, uh, how much, how much pain, uh, how much uh, hurt your life has caused you. But if you come to me, I will give you joy. I will give you peace. I will give you a life that is much more fulfill, uh, fulfilling than the life that you're living. Christ draws, but he never compels. He will never force us against his will. This is why Paul states in Hebrews 2 verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? You see, the foolish virgins, Nicodemus, the lukewarm Christian church, and I, we all thought that we're in a saving relationship. And because of this reason, we have neglected to study so we can understand what our true condition is. You see, you and I must come to a point that we understand our need for Jesus before we can be saved by Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, as we conclude, I want you to notice the following statement. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 159, it states, In one way only can true knowledge of self be obtained. How can you and I truly see ourselves for who we are? How can we truly see ourselves as wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked individuals? How can we see ourselves as prideful people, people that, that, that look at themselves and say, well, we really don't need Jesus. How can we truly understand who we are, brothers and sisters? We must behold Christ. And so the question for you is simply this. Have you meditated on the cross? Have you meditated on his goodness, his faithfulness towards you, even when you haven't been faithful to him? Have you understand your need of Jesus? Because the first step of the process of being complete in him is understanding our desperate need of him. How can Christ give a solution if first we do not understand our own problem?
See, it is ignorance of him that makes men so uplifted in their own righteousness. Once you start thinking of yourself better than what you ought to think of yourself, as you start comparing yourself to others and thinking to yourself, well, at least I'm not like this elder. At least I'm not like my coworker. At least I'm not like my spouse. At least I'm not like my cousin or whoever you want to compare yourself to. It is ignorance of knowing who Jesus is that will cause us to look at ourselves and say, yeah, I think I'm all right. You see, brothers and sisters, it continues. When we contemplate his, his beauty, his purity and excellence, we shall see ourselves lost and hopeless Clad in garments of self-righteousness like every other sinner, we shall see that if we are ever saved, it will not be through our own goodness, but through God's infinite grace. You see, the understanding of this message, understanding what Christ wants to do is to understand that you and I must see our nothingness so that we can see Christ's allness. That's what Christ wants us to get to. To see our nothingness, see that we cannot be saved based on our own works, that in reality, we are not good people. This is why Jesus said to, uh, to the rich young ruler, good teacher, he says, who and no one is good except for God. There's no one good on planet Earth. There's only one good person. That person is Jesus. And Jesus says, if you look at my purity, if you look at what I have done for you, if you look at my excellence, if you look at my love, you will then see your desperate need of me. And it goes back to what we discussed in Revelation chapter three. The reason why we see ourselves and, and we don't see ourselves in need of Jesus is because Jesus is outside of the door knocking, desiring, hoping that you will give him a chance to come in. And so we see, brothers and sisters, that today's presentation is a very vital and important one, that before we can be complete in Christ, we must first understand his love for you and second, our part and not restraining or withholding that love to do what it needs to do in our lives. The only way that we can see ourselves for who we truly are is by beholding Christ. So the question is, are you beholding him? Are you studying his word? Are you studying to see your need of Jesus or are you studying so that way you can prove other people wrong and how doctrinally wrong they are? You see, until we behold Christ, Christ can never do the work that he desires to do in our lives. And so step number one is God's love is constantly drawing us and our job is to not resist that drawing. And so my question is to you, would you resist God's drawing or would you surrender and allow the love to take you wherever he wants, wherever the love will take you? If your desire is to allow love to take you wherever it needs to go, then I hope that you make a decision in your hearts now as we conclude with a word of prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you again for revealing to us your love. And Father, we just want to say that we do not want to resist that drawing. For we realize that there's something beautiful about the cross. That I realize that we ultimately see our, un our unrighteousness, our nothingness. And there we see all of the goodness, all of the mercy, all of the justice that you're willing to give to us. And so Lord, as we make a decision to allow love to take us where it needs to go, we pray that we may continue to surrender and give you the one thing that you desire, which is our will, which is our hearts. We love you and we thank you for we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, 
You can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.